about midterms and debating whether or not to cut your hair just to feel something, I may have finally found a cause to put that urge to use. It's me, ya girl, Mary Jane, and this is Her Story, the only podcast with IUS TV that teaches you about incredible women of history while also making you question the sanity of the host. We multitask in this studio. And speaking of multitasking... One of the core reasons I founded this podcast was to look at misconceptions and historical inaccuracies surrounding the stories we are told about women and societies. And it wouldn't be fair for me to keep looking at history and omit what's happening today, as history is being forged in Iran. For those who don't know, Iranian citizens are protesting the government over decades of injustices that came to a head when 22-year-old Mahasa Amani was violently murdered by morality police over not wearing her hijab correctly in public. Mahasa has become a martyr, prompting thousands to take to the streets in protest, and women around the world are cutting their hair in solidarity with those fighting for freedom in Iran. And to be clear, this is not an issue with Islam. In Islam, women choose to wear the hijab as a sign of devotion to God and self-expression. The problem in Iran is that women are not being given the choice on whether what they want to wear it or not. It is a social decree, not a religious one. In fact, I have Catholic friends who wear lace veils in mass, nuns wear veils, Jewish men often wear yarmulkes, Sikh men wear a distar. Religious head coverings go back centuries, maybe even thousands of years. Basically, I am stressed and I'm trying not to say a string of terrible curse words that would make the judgmental Catholic priest I attempted to undergo the sacrament of confession with the other day even more sassy than he already had a right to be. It's been a week. Basically, the world sucks, and we're gonna pivot, because there's still another ongoing human rights crisis going on, and I think we all need to, I don't know, sleep? Whatever, we're moving on. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is that this week, I picked a heroine that shows all of us what happens when fascists try to fuck around. My mom got, she's like, you're still saying bad words on your podcast. She's so great. She's been listening to these. Hi, Mom. She's so great. She's been listening to these. She's like, oh, you're doing another murderer for your topic. Yes. Yes, I am. The good news is, though, is that we agreed that killing Nazis is fine. So moving right along, this season we have only covered one woman who entered the History Hall of Fame by racking up a body count that put Jack the Ripper to shame. Uh, usually by, like, this is the fifth episode, and usually by now we have a body count way higher Though the incredible Julia Tofana from episode 3 may or may not have set a record for murders committed on this show. Um, frankly, there's actually a lot of women committed a lot of murders on this show, so who am I to say? But aside from me, of course, because I am killing it with this whole podcast gig. I may have also killed a few people, but that's neither here nor there. The woman we are talking about today, Ludmila Belova Pavlichenko, the most successful female sniper in history. Only five feet, one inch tall, Ludmila was part of the Soviet Red Army battling the Nazis in World War II. She was so skilled that eventually she would earn the nickname Lady Death. And this is her story. Ludmila was born July 12, 1916, just south of Kiev. Oh yes, another incredible woman from the Ukraine here for revenge. 
Just rewind to our old episode on St. Olga of Kiev for more on that. It's so fun to have so many episodes that I can just plug them right now. History's connected, folks, and it's weird. Ludmila was a self-described tomboy who was highly competitive in sports, school, especially when it came to one-upping boys and proving that girls were just as good as them. At the age of 14, she and her family moved to Kiev, and it was there that she would start taking classes in sharpshooting, you know, as one does. She earned her Boroshilov Sharpshooter Badge a civilian decoration for marksmanship there. This class would lay the foundation for her most deadly gift as Lady Death. Ludmila began working in an arms factory and started attending Kiev University in 1937, pursuing her love of history and hoping to one day become a teacher. She kept up taking classes at a literal sniper school and eventually joined the college track team. Were sniper schools just like a Soviet thing, or is that stuff still offered now? It's like ninjutsu, but I have so many questions. Unfortunately, Ludmila's life would take a turn. When she was only 24, Hitler launched Operation Barbarossa, invading the Soviet Union. Ludmila was a senior in college who quickly left for Odessa, and there she decided to enlist in the Red Army, despite recruiters pushing her towards nursing. Ludmila proved herself early on by taking out two enemies from the Soviet-controlled hill via sniping and was enrolled in the 25th Rifle Division. In the 25th Rifle Division. There, she would be part of a group of 2,000 female snipers. Only 500 of these women would survive the war. Ludmila fought on the front lines at the Siege of Odessa, defending the city for two and a half months before she and her unit were forced to retreat to the Romanian army. While in Odessa, Ludmila reported 187 kills, earning her the rank of senior sergeant. Her unit retreated to Stevastopol, and during this costly siege, Ludmila worked as a sniper for eight months. There, she was promoted to the rank of lieutenant after her confirmed kill count rose to 257. Because of her skill, Ludmila's assignments quickly grew more dangerous. She was often sent to shoot down other snipers, sometimes engaging in duels with them. Her longest recorded duel lasted three days. Literally, she literally sat in the same position for three days while someone was trying to, someone else who was sitting in a position across from her for three days was trying to shoot her. Did she eat? Did she pee? I, could you even sleep like that? Guys, I get stressed crossing the street. She was in a sniper duel for three days. Oh my gosh. One time when she was like literally attacked and injured and her commanding officer was killed, she took over charge and started leading her unit. And excuse my language, but I am directly quoting here. The Soviets said, come on, men, that woman has more balls than the rest of us. Like, what? Yeah, so back to the story. It was in a sniper duel, which is a real thing, for three days, ending only when, and in her own words, the enemy made one too many moves. Ludmila would win every sniper duel she ever went up against, killing a total of 36 enemy snipers. And, like, she wasn't just, like, hanging out. Like, she would set traps for her enemies. Ludmila would tie up cloth strips to shake in the wind and distract other snipers or other soldiers so they would come to see what it was. And then she'd find their position and shoot them down. She rigged up mannequins in uniforms to act as decoys. 
She even took out her targets in the rain to muffle the sound of her rifle so no one would know where she was. Once, Ludmila climbed a tree to survey the area and was spotted and shot. Falling 12 feet, Ludmila lay still on the ground for hours until she crawled away during nightfall. Like, what? Snipers would actually often work in spotter pairs. So one person would be spotter, the other person would direct their aim to where that person saw someone else who was about to get vibe-checked. It's it's nasty business, but this do be World War II. And working a spotter pair is actually how she would meet her husband. Ludmila married Sergeant Major Leonard Kitsenko. And not much is actually known about the pair. Although it is said that this is where her famous last name was from. There's a lot of misconceptions about this. It's very weird. History's weird. Frankly, Soviet era is not the place I want to go to look up factual statements and records. But that is neither, once again, neither here nor there. Basically, fell in love, married a spotter. They were incredibly happy. But as the war dragged on, Ludmila's suffering only grew. She lost friends, and she eventually lost her husband to war. At that point, she began aiming for the legs instead of the head, causing more suffering and drawing more Nazis to aid the victim just to kill them too. She was no joke. In June of 1924, Ludmila was hospitalized after a mortar round sharpel struck her in the face. And she still didn't die. Soviet high command, realizing her fame was an incredible asset, pulled her off the front lines and gave her a new role. Propaganda. And Ludmila was famous. By this point, she is 25 years old. She has amassed all, all the kills she will of her career. And all these kills are 309 Nazis. And the Nazis were well aware of her. The German army would attempt to bribe her over radio loudspeakers during sieges, saying things like, Ludmila Pavlichenko, come over to us. We will give you plenty of chocolate and make you a German officer. Let me tell you folks, there is a lot I would do for chocolate. Even for like World War II sugar rationing, this is a weird tactic. Although, to be fair, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, my boy Edmund did betray his family for Turkish delight because he was on World War II sugar rations, so I guess it happens. But pretty soon, these lovely little bribes turned into neat threats like, if we catch you, we will tear you into 309 pieces and scatter them to the wind. Apparently, Ludmila was just happy the Germans knew her correct kill count. Ludmila's latest assignment would be taking on the United States. She was sent to Washington, D.C. late in 1924 and became the first Soviet civilian to be welcomed at the White House. Ludmila, a highly decorated lieutenant, was sent because Stalin wanted to relieve pressure from the suffering Soviet army by creating a second front in Europe to stop the Nazis from capturing Eastern European territory. At the White House, Ludmila would actually meet her lifelong friend Eleanor Roosevelt, first lady of the U.S., Eleanor actually invited Mila to travel with her across the U.S. to 43 cities, speaking about her experiences as a female soldier. At this point, to recap, 
25 years old. She's been wounded in battle four times and speaks no English. But now Ludmila is going on tour with Eleanor Roosevelt to make a case for Americans making a commitment to fight in Europe. Most people, though, attended to see a battle-hardened woman in uniform, a pretty uncommon sight in the U.S. And unsurprisingly, the press went wild for it. Many criticized Ludmila for her lack of makeup and her long olive brown skirt, making her look fat because American girls only wore short skirts. Sounds about right. At a speech in Chicago, Ludmila confronted the sexism she was constantly facing on tour by saying, Gentlemen, I am 25 years old and have killed 309 fascist occupants by now. Don't you think, gentlemen, that you have been hiding behind my back for too long? This was met with uproaring applause. Ludmila spoke out on tour about the racial segregation and sexism she saw. At this point, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to pen and paper because the Wi-Fi in my house cut out last night, and I had to sell what's left of my soul to the hotspot overlords to accomplish this. So, continuing on. Ludmila, while on tour, spoke out against the racial segregation she saw in the U.S. and was vocal about women participating in the armed forces. The Red Army wasn't segregated by race and gender. Ludmila was such a sensation and so popular with so many Americans that singer Woody Gunthrie actually wrote a song in 1942 called Miss Pavlichenko. She traveled to Canada and Britain to promote the Second Front, but unfortunately, the Soviet Union would have to wait two years until Operation Overlord when the Allies invaded Normandy. And as someone who has been to Normandy, let me just say that was no small feat. Those beaches were steep. Yeah, funny story. I went on a tour of Normandy, guys. So cool. But they're just like, maybe so, like all these French people are just like hanging out at a beach. And they're like, see that spot? They found a mine that washed up there 10 days ago and we had to detonate it. And I was like, what? They're like, okay, here's the cows. Here's where the sniper stood. Um, here's the stairs that used to be here. Here's the lovely little restaurant with apple cider. I was like, back up, guys, back up. It was a little intense. I'll probably have to cut that out anyway. Roll, moving on. When she returned to the Soviet Union, Ludmila was awarded Hero of the Soviet Union military title as a major, the highest military distinction. She even won the Order of Lenin twice, the highest civilian honor. And although she never returned to battle, Ludmila began training other snipers until the war ended in 1945. She then returned to Kiev University, becoming a historian. Ludmila worked in research assisting at the Soviet Navy headquarters from 1945 to 1953. She eventually remarried to Konstantin Shevelov, and the pair had a son, Rostislav. Konstantin eventually passed away in 1963, and again, not much is known about the marriage. In 1957, Eleanor Roosevelt was going on a tour of the Soviet Union amid high Cold War tensions, but was extremely adamant she not leave without visiting Ludmila. After pestering and pestering, the visit was finally granted. It had been 15 years since their summer touring the U.S. When the visit was granted, Eleanor visited Ludmila at her small apartment. And the visit started off fairly chilly and stiff, probably because it had to be monitored by actual attendants to make sure that no suspicious Cold War secrets or whatever were being shared. I don't know what these people were doing. I don't know. But the two friends still found time to sneak off to reminisce and laugh about their time on tour. Eleanor Roosevelt was friends with such cool people. She was friends with Amelia Earhart. Another episode plug. 
You can stream all this content and more by looking up IUS TV Her Story wherever you get your podcasts. <sighs> to be a sellout. Moving on. After the war, Ludmila suffered from PTSD and depression, likely alcoholism, and was very much affected by losing her husband in war. And potentially the other guy she may or may not have been married to who also died before her. She would pass away from a stroke on October 10th, 1974. But Ludmila's legacy has yet to dim. Two Soviet postage stamps were printed in her honor, one in 1943 and another after her death in 1976. She is still celebrated as the most successful and decorated female snipers in history and one of the most incredible soldiers of World War II. That will teach you to mess with Ukraine, ladies and gentlemen. Slava Ukraine. Had to throw that in there. So, looking back on this incredible episode, Ludmila Hachenko was an incredible sniper, a woman who was able to help provide incredible unity between the Soviet Union and the United States in order to create a second front in World War II, and remains to be one of the most important symbols of why fascism is bound to fail in the face of a determined woman. Whether we're looking at the ongoing situations in Ukraine, Iran, or even in our own backyard, it's important to remember that women are not docile. We have never stood by silently when there are things that we know should change. And I hope that these women, both today and of our past, are incredible inspirations for all of us. All right, guys, this about wraps it up for today. It is 4 p.m. on September 30th. It's almost October, so all you spooky season gals can get excited. I think Hocus Pocus 2 comes out today, so that's hyped. Oh, you poor things, you'll probably listen to this some random Monday when I finally finish editing it. Well, on that Monday, I hope you've drank water. I hope you had a great weekend. And I hope to see you next week for another woman who made her story. Thank you.